the book of Philemon. Now, <clears throat> I was here on Monday night, and uh, we spent we started in this book, and we were talking about fellowship. And then last night at the Fellowship Baptist Church, we talked a little bit about fellowship. And my intention was to continue on some of these fellowships of Paul, but the Lord has directed me a little bit differently tonight. And I want to spend a few moments here in the book of Philemon still, but we're going to take a little different direction. And I want to read this entire letter. There are only 25 verses. It'll just take us a moment or two. So let's just uh, follow along, and I'll read here in the book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, to our beloved Appia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, <clears throat> excuse me, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he have wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord, having confidence in thy obedience. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I mentioned to you on Monday night, that here in the book of Philemon, we have the story of a runaway slave or a runaway servant. His name is Onesimus. Philemon, who is a Christian, who has a house in his home, or excuse me, a church in his house, has servants that are in his household, and this man Onesimus, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I don't know if anybody knows exactly what happened. Some believe that Onesimus had uh, risen to a place of authority among the servants, and that Paul had given him uh, uh, some money to take, or, or excuse me, Philemon had given him some money to take to the apostle Paul to relieve him 
him while he was in the prison. That may be what happened. It may be that just one day Onesimus decided he didn't want to be a servant anymore and he ran away. And he may have stolen from his master when he ran. But when he ran away from Philemon, somehow or another, he came to the city of Rome. It would not be an unusual thing for a servant or a slave to run away and end up in Rome. Rome was the hub of civilization at that day. It was a place he could go and perhaps get lost in the crowd. But something happened. Onesimus went to Rome and he ended up in the same prison where Paul was. While he was in prison, whether he had known Paul before or not, I do not know. But anyway, while he's in the prison, apparently Paul has the opportunity to lead Onesimus to Christ. You know, uh, we ought to use our difficulties. I was mentioning it last night. We ought to use our difficulties for the glory of God. And Paul is in the prison. He wasted no time and no opportunity. And he won uh, this man Onesimus. I don't think that was the only one of Paul's converts when he was in the jail. I know, I know in one place he said, the saints in Caesar's household salute you. I wonder how there came to be saints in Caesar's household. Probably through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But he wins Onesimus to Christ, and then apparently he says to Onesimus, now, I want you to go back and get this right with your master. And he writes him a letter so that he will be received, a letter of explanation about the conversion of Onesimus. Now, when I come to the book of Philemon, I notice in it that there are some Trinities. And here's what I mean by that. There are some sets of three that I find in the book of Philemon. We mentioned last night and probably Monday night also that there are three fellowships that are mentioned. There are three times the word love is mentioned. There are three times the word bowels is mentioned. And I'll talk about that in a moment. And then there are three times this little phrase, receive him, is mentioned in the book of Philemon. And that's what I'm interested in tonight. And if the Lord will help me, I want to preach for a little while on a divine reception for a dirty runaway. A divine reception for a dirty runaway. You know, that's what Onesimus is. He's a runaway. And he is a thief. He has taken, <clears throat> he has taken advantage of his master's kindness and his master's generosity. And he has stolen and he has run and he has turned his back on his master. You know, that's what every human being has done. We have taken advantage of the kindness of our God. Remember what Paul said in the book of Romans? He said, The good or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I want to remind you of this. James said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So I take that to mean any good thing I have ever experienced in my life was a gift from Almighty God. Some have said, well, preacher, I've worked hard to get what I have. No, the Bible said that uh, the Lord is the one that gives you the power to get well. You say, well, I've worked hard to get to the place I am. No, promotion cometh from the Lord on high. And so I would say every good thing you've experienced, every joy that you've ever had, that was a pure joy, that joy was a, <laughs> excuse me, a gift from God and from the goodness of God. And what we did was we took all of the good gifts of God and we squandered them on our ourselves and never gave a thought to the one that loved us and wanted to save us. And that's what Onesimus did. He ran away. But you know, he heard about the gospel. He heard about Jesus dying on the cross and he repented and he got saved. So now he has to come back to his master. Now, when I read this passage, here's what I think about. I think about Philemon representing God the Father. 
Onesimus representing the sinner, and Paul representing the Savior. So Paul is saying to Philemon, receive this one Onesimus. Now he's going to say it three times. And the things that he says when he tells him this three times are of interest to me, and I want you to look at them. Number one, notice in verse number 12, Paul said this, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. You see now, preacher, what is Paul talking about here? Well, to the Jew, the bowels, when he uses that term, the bowels are the seat of affection. You, if you and I were to say it in the language we would use today, we would say, I love him with everything that is in me. That's what he's saying. And so Paul is saying to Philemon, you need to receive him because I love him. Now, I would say this is our loving reception. This is exactly what Jesus says to God the Father. Receive him because I love him. You remember what Paul said? Paul said this. I'm crucified with Christ. Yet nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ which liveth in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm glad Jesus loves the world. I'm glad the Bible said that He tasted death for every man. I'm glad that He loves every sinner. But I want to tell you, He loves more than every sinner. He loves me particularly, and you particularly. And if you'd have been the only one, I believe He'd have died for you. Now, a Calvinist has a hard time swallowing that, but the Bible said he tasted death for every man. By the way, while I mention that, let me just stop a moment. We need to be careful when we talk this way because we can get this a little bit out of kilter and get it uh, contrary to the Bible. Somebody will say, well, the reason God loves us is because Jesus died for us. Matter of fact, uh, the Calvinist will tell you that God does not love every sinner and He only loves those that Jesus died for. But they got the cart before the horse. Jesus doesn't love you or God doesn't love you because Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you because God loved you. God loved you first and that's why Jesus died. The Bible doesn't say for God so loved the world because His only Son died on the cross of Calvary. The Bible said for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. He gave His only begotten Son. And so we're not loved because of Calvary. There is a Calvary because we're loved by God the Father. He has loved us with an everlasting love. I remember I was preaching, I was preaching the 34th anniversary of my pastor at the Bean Blossom Baptist Church. Now, he's been there this year. He celebrated his 40th anniversary as the pastor of our church. That's a good while, isn't it? And, uh, on the 34th anniversary, I usually preach it every year. I was getting ready to preach and I was praying about what to preach. And I know anniversary service you ought to preach on how good God's been to you or precious memories, you know, or something like that. But I'm going to tell you, I couldn't get any liberty to do anything like that. I've never been very good at special day sermons anyway. And I was in my prayer closet praying, calling on God. And i just tell you what God put on my heart. He said, preach on wrath. That seems to be an unusual topic for anniversary Sunday. But I preached on the God who is willing to show His wrath. And so I preached on that Sunday morning on anniversary Sunday. There's a little blonde-headed girl come in the back door. It was the first time she'd ever been to our church. When the invitation time came, I had folks to bow their head. I said, now if you're lost and you'd like to be saved, you'd like to get out from under the wrath of God, would you raise your hand if you want me to pray for you? And that little blonde-headed girl, I'd guess you're 16 years old. 
old, she raised her hand. Well, when the invitation started then... Here she come. She got down on the altar and my wife Sherry came over and knelt down beside her. And I didn't, I didn't know all this was going on right at that time. But she knelt down beside her and when they was all done, she got up. She said, uh, this is Alex. She said, tell him what happened, Alex. Alex said, I just got saved uh, this morning. It was really good. But after the service, my wife said, you know what she said to me? I said, what? She said, well, when she came down, I asked her her name. She said, my name's Alex. She said, I asked her, what'd you come for? And Alex said, I need to be saved. And she wanted to make sure that she knew what she's doing. You know, she really knew what it meant to be saved. She said, Alex, what do you know about Jesus? That little blind-headed girl turned her head toward her and said, I know that He died on the cross for me, and I know that He really, really loves me. I'm going to tell you, friend, that's been a few years ago. I haven't quite got over that statement. I want to remind you this evening that He really, really loves you. You said, preacher, nobody loves me. Oh, you're wrong. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Somebody said, Preacher, preach me a deep truth. You can't get any deeper than the fact that Jesus loves sinners and God loves sinners. He loves you tonight. If you're not saved, He loves you so much. He wants you to be saved and belong to Him. And He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross and shed His blood and pay the payment for your sin. Receive Him because I love Him. I thought it was interesting the other day. I, I, every every year, I spend uh, about three days with a couple preacher friends of mine. My wife and I spend time with these two preachers and their wife, and we were talking about some things the other day. And we were talking about children, and it's been it's been about a year ago. And of course, uh, Rachel was about to get married, and uh, and we were talking about praying for mates for our children, praying for. Them. And one of the fellas said to me, he said, you know, when I went to ask my father-in-law, future father-in-law, for the hand of his daughter, he said something that changed my life. I said, what was it? He said, son, I've been praying for you for 28 years. Now, he didn't even know him all them 28 years. But without ever knowing him, he prayed for him. I was thinking about God the Father. You know, he knew us in the sense that he was our creator. And he loved us even before we were saved. And then Jesus comes along and died. Now here's what Ephesians 1 says. He talks about... That we, I'm gonna to have to go over there and read it because sometimes my, sometime my brain doesn't work exactly like it's supposed to. And I'll have to go back and read, but I think that my eyes are still working. In verse number four of Ephesians one, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, somebody read that and say, well, does that mean that God chose some of us to get saved and others he didn't choose to save? No, go back and read it again. Listen to what he says now. Listen exact. Don't read into it. Don't decide before you read it. Listen to what he said. According as he hath chosen us in him. In whom? In Christ. 
He hath chosen us in Christ. Now what that father was saying was when he said, I prayed for you 28 years, he's saying, I've already decided I'm going to receive whoever it is that is, that is joined with my daughter. You know, when I, when I married my wife, my, my mother and father, my parents who are in heaven now, they received her into the family. Why? Because I loved her. Because I loved her. Now listen, God the Father hath chosen before the foundation of the world to receive anybody who will come in Christ. And what He chose was that you are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ, the adoption of sons. It has nothing to do with God choosing you to be saved or choosing you to be lost. It has to do with Him choosing to receive you because you're in Christ. So Paul says, receive Him. There is our loving reception. We're received because He loves us. Amen. Then I want you to see the second thing that he said. Not only receive Him, that is mine own bowels, but then he said this in verse 15. For perhaps He therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive Him. Notice this next word. Forever. Boy, that's quite a word, isn't it? Two words, actually, for ever. Now, here's what's interesting. Not only do we have a loving reception in Christ, we have a lengthy reception in Christ. You say, how long will I be welcomed now that I'm in Christ? Forever. Everlastingly. Without end. You know, if Paul had not believed in that dreaded doctrine of eternal security, he would have had to say this. He would have had to say, now receive him for a little while. Receive him for as long as he holds out. Receive him unless he falls from grace. Receive him unless he loses his salvation. But Paul didn't say that, did he? He said, receive him forever. You know what? Paul must believe that once Onesimus got saved, he was going to remain saved. You say, well, preacher, I know somebody who said they got saved and now they're living like the devil. Well, you've got to be saved before you can be eternally saved. Are you understanding me? you got to be born again. And somebody said, well, so-and-so said they got saved and they live a loose and wicked and ungodly life. Well, here's what Paul said. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Oh, things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. I remember what Thomas Brooks said, old Puritan writer. He said, "'Tis folly to dream of heaven when every footstep is on the path to hell. And when a man lives like he's going to hell, he probably is. Are you listening now? If you got saved, then you have a new nature in you. There will be a change. You will have that, you have that, that new nature of God, that divine nature. I know the old nature is there. It's not a but I'm going to tell you, there will be a desire in your heart to live for God if you've ever been born again. And if you have been born again, then uh, you'll be saved forever. You're not saved for a little while. You are saved forever. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father gave them unto me as greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know, you said, Preacher, well, you know that doctrine of eternal security, that, that'll cause a man to want to sin. No, you go back and read Psalm 130. The 
psalmist is saying, out of the depths I cried unto the Lord. He says something like this. Well, let's go back and look at it. Psalm 130. Go back and look at that with me a moment. Psalm 130. Here's what he says. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ear be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? You understand what he said? He said, Lord, if you're keeping a record and if you're marking it down and I'm going to have to stand before you and give an account for what I've done, I can't stand there. Who can stand if you're keeping a record? But he said this, verse 4, but there is forgiveness with thee. Hallelujah for forgiveness. Thank God for the forgiveness of sin. Aren't you glad God forgave all your dirty, rotten sins and washed them away in the blood of Jesus and they'll never, hallelujah, they'll never be remembered against you anymore. Aren't you glad about that? Look what else he said. Verse 4. Notice it now. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Uh, eternal security and forgiveness of sin complete. That'll make a man live loose. No, that's not what, that's not what David said. The psalmist said right here, he said, when you get forgiven, it'll bring up a holy fear of God, a holy reverential trust of God, a fearfulness of displeasing the God who loved you and saved you. I'm telling you, if you can sin and get by with it, you never got saved. If you got saved when you sin, you'll get chastened by God and it'll make you want to live right. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth every son. And it'll make you want, you know what, what, my dad chasing me, your dad ever chasing you? They talk about time out. We never heard of time out when I was growing up, unless it was time out being unconscious. Amen. Somebody said, did you have, what, what happened when your dad took you to the woodshed? There's bloodshed. Amen. They didn't know anything about time out. Say, so well, what about, what about child abuse? Child abuse when I was growing up was not whipping your children. And really, truthfully, that's what it is now. But they won't recognize it. That's child abuse. Letting your child just do anything. I was in the, oh, I shouldn't get on this. I was in the Walmart the other night. I had to go to the Walmart. This little fellow was in there and he was apparently with his mother and with his grandma and grandpa and they wouldn't give him what he wanted. She wouldn't give him what he wanted. He was a yelling and he come out and he said to grandpa, he said, I want a dollar. And, and his mother said, don't give him a dollar. And she said that, I'm talking about a little fellow about this high. I mean, just a little fellow. He looked at her and at the top of his lungs, he screamed and said, I keep telling you to shut up. He said that to his mama. He yelled at her, yelled some other things, and when he didn't get what he wanted, here's what he did. He walked out the door like this. He took his fist, and he went, and he kept hitting himself in the face, walking out the door. And then he'd stop, and he'd yell at her and scream. He said, Preacher, what did he need? He needed, a, he needed a, a good paddling was what he needed. That's what he needed. Amen. But you see, society today doesn't want you to put any restraint on your children. You say, why don't they want you? Because they don't want any restraint on them. These doctors and all this crowd, they don't want any restraint on them. Are you listening now? So they don't want to put any restraint on anybody else because they might be a restraint on them. But I don't know how I got off on all that. How did I, oh, I was talking about chastening. Oh, yeah. If you belong to God, God will chase you. But I just want to say to you, if you're saved, you're saved forever. Paul believed that salvation was not just for a day. It was not for a week or a month. It was an eternal salvation. You say, well, I got saved and lost it. Then you didn't get it from Jesus because the book of Hebrews said He is the author of eternal salvation. He doesn't author any other kind. 
Now, I quoted those verses from John one time about being in the hand of God. And after the service, this fellow came up and he was of charismatic persuasion. That's a kind way of saying he was in error. And he said to me, you know, nobody can pluck you out of the hand of God, but you could jump out. Well, I never had thought about that. So I thought I better think about that. So I thought about it. And here's what I thought when I thought about it. In Isaiah chapter 40, the Bible said that all the waters on the face of planet Earth fit in the hollow. That little indentation right there. They all fit in the hollow of God's hand. So that's a pretty good sized hand. I don't know if I could find the edge if it did won't jump out. But another Old Testament prophet said, if I belong to God, my name is graven in his hand. But that's all Old Testament. New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, we are of his bone and his flesh. I'm not only in his hand with my name graven in his hand, I am his hand. I'm the body of Christ. You know what Charles Spurgeon said? I liked what he said. He said, you can't drown the body as long as the head's above water. And so as long as Jesus the Son is all right with God the Father, Brian McBride is all right in Christ Jesus. I'm just trying to say, saved forever. What a wonderful reception we've had. All right, now here's the third one and I'll be done. I want you to notice verse number 17. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Now let me mention a couple of things here. This is our lofty reception. We've had a loving reception. Receive him because I love him. We've had a lengthy reception, receive him forever. Now we have a lofty, a lifted up reception. You say, what's this about? Well, let me mention one thing. Notice how Paul starts this verse. He said, if thou count me, therefore, a partner, receive him. Isn't that interesting? Paul didn't say, if you will count Onesimus as a partner, then receive him. No, he said, if you count me a partner. Receive. And then he's going to say in verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. He said, now, if you if you think I'm a partner, if you count me as a partner, then you receive him. And if he owes you anything, it's on me. I'm taking care of it. Now, what interests me about this, of course, we see how Christ died for our sin in that statement. We see how he paid our sin debt. But that partner thing, that partner thing. You know, in the Old Testament in Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham. You remember? It was actually Abram. He made a covenant with him. Genesis 15. What's interesting about that covenant is he made a covenant with Abram while Abram was asleep. You say, well, a covenant is between two people. Yeah, it is. And God made a covenant with Abram, but Abram was asleep. He's sound asleep. God said, take those animals, slay them, separate them. And Abram spent the day beating off the fowls of the air, waiting on God. And finally, a horror of a deep sleep fell upon him. And the Bible said in Genesis 15, when that horror of a deep sleep fell upon him, there was a smoking lamp and a burning furnace that went through those dead animals. You know what it was? It was the figure eight. The figure eight. It was the blood covenant. When they did the blood covenant, the two men would meet in the middle. Dead animals here, dead animals here. They'd meet in the middle. They'd make their promises. This is what I promise I'll do. Then the one on this side would turn and he would walk in a circle around that bunch of animals and come back in the middle. And the other would turn and walk in a circle like a figure eight around those animals. They'd meet in the middle and strike their hands together and make a covenant. 
So here's God making a covenant with Abram. But Abraham can't do no walking. He's asleep. So God meets in the middle. And God takes a walk around this side. And then God takes a walk around the other side. And then God meets Himself in the middle. And God strikes His hands together. And God makes a covenant. What happened was, it didn't depend on Abraham. It all depended on God. You say, well, preacher, if I can just be faithful. No, your salvation doesn't depend on your faithfulness. It depends on the faithfulness of God the Son to God the Father and the faithfulness of God the Father to God the Son. All you had to do was believe. That's it. That's it. You say, well, what about works? Works come after. For by grace are you saved. Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Works did not save us. Works come after. They follow. So God has made a covenant with God. And as long as God doesn't disappoint God, I'm okay. Amen. Now, here's that last, that last point. That lofty reception. Now, this is what Paul said. He said, receive him as myself. Now, let me ask you a question. How would a master receive a runaway servant? If you were the master in the days of Rome, and you had the power of life and death, because that servant, really, he's not, he is not, he, he has no more rights, really, than a piece of furniture or livestock in the barns. You go back and read what some of those masters did. They would take those servants and feed them to wild animals when they did wrong. And so, how would, it, and I know Philemon's a Christian, I would not expect him to do that. But even in Philemon's case, how would he treat a runaway servant that is stolen from him and is coming back? He'd probably rebuke him. He'd probably chasten him. He'd punish him in some way. If he did have some kind of authority, he'd take that away. If he had privileges and benefits he, that he had earned over the years, he'd take those away. He would, he would somehow try to impress upon him what he had done wrong and punish him. So that's what Onesimus would have to look forward to. But let me ask you this. How would Philemon receive the Apostle Paul if he found out Paul was coming? He'd go in and he'd say, Appia! I believe that was his wife. He'd say, Appia, Paul's coming. Paul's coming. Yeah, Paul's coming. Put the best linen on the bed. Get the guest room cleaned up. Polish up all the silverware. I'm telling you, get the maid in here. Get everything cleaned up. Get it sparkled up. Paul is coming. He'd call in the servants. He'd say, Paul is coming to spend some time with us. Go out there and kill the fatted calf. Go out there and get the best thing we've got. Go out in the garden. Get the best. Get the best. Don't get any of them bad looking ones. Get the best looking foods you can. Get the best maters and the best potatoes and everything you can out of the garden and bring them in here and get the servants out and manicure the lawn and get the basin out because we're going to wash Paul's feet when he gets here. We're going to treat him like somebody because that's what he is. Now, here's what Paul said. He said, when Onesimus comes back, you receive him 
Just like it was me coming back. He's nothing but an old runaway slave. He's nothing but a thief and a liar. But now, because of what Paul has said, he said, I want you to receive him like he's me. Now, you just think about that a minute. I know what I am. I know what's in me. I know how wicked I was before I got saved. And I know how slack I am sometimes now that I am saved and I'm not always what I should be. But listen, Paul is saying, receive him as myself. I believe Jesus says to God the Father, Receive Him as myself. So I look at it like this. When I got on my knees a little while ago right down, hallelujah, right down there at the end of that altar, when I got on my knees and went into the throne room, I believe God looked down and said, well, there's my boy come back. There's my boy come in to visit. I'm glad to see you, son. Let's talk a little while. Do you have a need? I'd sure like to help you. I'd love to... Hey, you say, preacher, why should I pray? Why can't I pray? You can pray because when you come in Jesus' name, it's God the Father receiving his son into his presence he'll say i'm glad to see you boy i've been missing you i'd like to fellowship with you is there anything i can do for no wonder paul said this come therefore boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need receive him as myself i'll give you a little trio a little trinity that goes along with this from the old testament jacob wanted the blessing that he didn't deserve from his father Isaac. You remember? It was Esau's blessing, but Jacob wanted it. He didn't deserve it. He wasn't the firstborn. So you know what he did? He he got his mama, or it was really her idea, she made, she made savory, <coughs> savory meat. And she put the raiment of Esau on Jacob. And when he went in before his father, his father said, Who art thou, my son? And he said, I'm Esau. He got the blessing he didn't deserve. You want to know why? Because he went in the presence of his father with the work of someone else's hands, dressed in somebody else's clothes, and using somebody else's name. That's exactly why I got saved and I didn't deserve it. I came, to Je- I came to God with the work of somebody else's hands. What Jesus did at Calvary. Dressed in somebody else's clothes. The righteousness of Christ. And coming in somebody else's name. I said, I'm coming in Jesus' name. And I got old time salvation. I got born again, bought by the blood. I'm a new creature in Christ. I didn't deserve it. But I got it. I got it because He received me. As though I were Christ. I don't know what these things do to you, these truths, but here's what they do to me. They make me want to thank the Lord. They make me want to pray. And they make me want to tell somebody how wonderful it is that a dirty runaway can have a divine reception by the God of the universe. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I'm wondering tonight if you're here and you're unsaved. You don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. But you'd like to be saved. You say, preacher, I'm a sinner. I'm a runaway from God. I don't like to think about Him. I don't like to think about standing before Him. Truth be told, preacher... I'm only here tonight because I had to be. I really don't even want to hear about Him. I'm a runaway from God. 
You know, if you run long enough, you wind up in hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Luke 16 said, The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off, and cried, and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and come and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. You run long enough, you'll end in hell. But all the time you're running, I believe God's running after you. He wants you for himself. Maybe here tonight you say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't know the Lord. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know my sins are forgiven, but I'd like to be saved. I'd like to be received by God. Would you please pray for me? I know I'm guilty. I know I'm a sinner. Would you please pray for me? I'd sure like to be saved. Is there anybody like that? You just lift your hand let me see it. I'll pray for you. Anybody like that? Just hold it up a moment. I'm not saying, God bless you. You can put your hand down. Somebody else? I know I'm guilty, but I'd like to be saved. Please pray for me. Is there anybody else? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and when I'm done, the musicians are going to come. Somebody's on their way to the piano right now. Somebody's there. Our sister's going to play something. We're going to stand. If you're not saved but you want to be, won't you come and let somebody take the Bible? If you're a lady, one of these ladies will get the Bible, and they'll, they'll show you how to be saved. You can, you can get it settled. God will save you. He loves you. He loves you. He's trying to draw you tonight through the preaching of the Word of God and the working of the Holy Ghost. That's why you raised your hand. And he said, uh, he said, all who come to me, and he's talking about that drawing, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll save you tonight. If you'll come, call on him. Come on his terms. Then maybe there's a Christian tonight and you ought to come thank him for saving you. You ought to come tell him sorry for something that he bothered you about tonight. He worried you over it. While I was preaching, the Holy Ghost said, You know, this is not becoming of a Christian. And you ought to come and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. After all you've done for me, I don't want that in my life anymore. You ought to come do business with him.